Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Look down in Mark chapter 14, which is the text of our lesson, and we're going to discuss this morning a subject that I think is very, very important. Before Jesus was crucified, he came to the house of Simon the leper, and he had dinner with probably some of his closest friends and family. And while he was there, we learn of a woman who brings ointment to Jesus, and she breaks the box which that ointment was in over his head, and she anoints him. What we learn in that story are a couple of important things that I want to bring out before we get into the text of our lesson. First, we learn that that box of ointment, the disciples that were with Jesus were mad because it was worth 300 denarii. When we understand that type of currency in the New Testament, a denarii was a day's wages. And so that was worth 300 days worth of work. Now, when we look at how much that may be worth in our time today... It's very, very expensive. You see, today, if you wanted to buy an ounce of the most expensive perfume in the world, it would cost you somewhere in the range of $12,000 for one ounce of the most expensive perfume in the world. But this perfume was way more expensive than the kind that we have today because what she broke over Jesus' head today would be worth somewhere in the range of $59,000. She took a a pound of this and broke it over Jesus' head to anoint his body for burial. We see a number of different things in this story that we find in Mark, 9, or Mark 14, 3 through 9. And we read about this story in all four of the gospel accounts. This is one of the few stories we read about in every single gospel. And we learn something different in every time we read this story. When we look in the book of Matthew, we learn that the woman who broke this over Jesus' head, Jesus said she has done a beautiful thing, that she had done wonderful for her, for him in preparing his body for burial. When we look into the gospel of Luke, we learn that this woman that anointed Jesus also took her hair and she dried his feet as she washed her feet with her tears. She cried onto Jesus' feet and washed his feet and then dried it with her hair. When we look into the Gospel of John, we learn that when Jesus came to Simon's house, Lazarus was also there, whom Jesus rose from the dead. We learn that the woman who put the ointment on Jesus was Mary, and that Martha was also there. We learn that while they're there, Judas is the one that gets angry about the alabaster box being broken on Jesus' head because he said, we're wasting $59,000 in our language worth of money that could go to the poor. But in the Gospel of John, we learn that, that Judas was actually mad because he kept the treasury bag and he stole out of it. And so he was mad that a lot of money could have gone into his pocket. But I find very interesting in Mark chapter 14, this account includes one very important phrase 
If you look down in Mark 14, it's located in verse 8. After Mary breaks the box over Jesus' head and anoints him, they begin to criticize her because of what she's done. But Jesus complimented her saying, she has done what she can. She has done what she can. The text of our lesson this morning out of Mark chapter 14 is this. God wants us to do what we can with what we have where we are. God wants us to do what we can with what we have where we are. Just like Mary did in Mark chapter 14. This afternoon, if the Lord came back or your life came to an end and you st stood before the judgment seat of God and you were judged on your life's actions, would the Lord look at you and say, you have done what you can. Good job. You, you did what you could. Would that compliment be paid to you? Two points this morning and the lesson will be yours. You can follow along in the outline that's located in the bulletin and all of the answers to those fill-in-the-blanks will be in the PowerPoint. Point number one. When we look at Mark chapter 14 and verse 8, when Jesus says she's done what she could, we learn a marvelous principle and a wonderful promise in that statement. The two things we learn in there. We learn a marvelous principle and a wonderful statement. Here's the principle. Let's begin. The principle that we learn in the statement in Mark chapter 14 and verse 8 when Jesus said that Mary did what she could, we learn that God expects of each of us that which we can do. Now I want you to think about that statement for a moment because it's very important in this lesson. God expects of each of us that which we can do. 1 John chapter 5 beginning in verse 2, John says that we... Know the love of God when we obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Some translations say His commandments are not grievous. When I look at what God has asked me to do, I want us to understand that God's commandments are not heavier of a burden than I am capable of bearing. God only expects of me that which I can do. God does not expect me to do anything that is outside of my ability or my opportunity. Because two things in this life determine the capability of what you can accomplish. And these are both found in Scripture. Number one, opportunity. In order for you to be capable of doing something, you have to have the opportunity to do it. We find this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Where Paul says, therefore as we have opportunity therefore as we have opportunity let us do good to everyone or to all especially to those who are of the household of faith you see in order for me to do what God expects of me I have to have the opportunity to do it and so for me to be capable of doing what I can for the Lord there has to be opportunity but opportunity can't just be met blindly because the second thing that determines whether I'm capable of doing something is ability. You see, if I meet an opportunity, but I'm incapable of meeting that opportunity, then my ability doesn't allow me to do it. And so God doesn't expect me to do it. I need to have the ability as well. Here's the beauty. God's given every one of us in this building an ability. You have something that you can do. Are you doing that thing for God? Matthew chapter 25 and verse 
15. And to one he gave five talents, and another two, and to another one. Notice, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Every one of us has an ability from God, and none of us probably have the same exact ability. All of us can do different things in different ways. The question is, am I using that to capably serve our Lord? Here's an important principle as we step forward in this lesson. And this is one of your blanks in your outline. If you, as a Christian, are doing all that you have opportunity to do, and if you are doing all that you have the ability to do, you've done all you can. If you as a Christian are doing everything you have the opportunity to do, and you're doing everything you have the ability to do, Jesus would look at you just as he did Mary and said, You've done what you can. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've done what you can. See, but not all men have the same opportunity. Not all men have the same ability. But we all have some opportunity, and we all have some ability. Are we using it to glorify God? We can find comfort this morning knowing that I'm not going to answer for your opportunity or your ability. But I should be sobered to know that I will answer for my opportunity and my ability. When God asks me to do something, when He expects of me to do something, He has given me both opportunity and ability to do it. And if I do those things, guess what? God is pleased with me. God only wants our best. Now, a lot of times when I, when I say that, people say, are you saying God expects me to be perfect? No. God expects you to be mature. We know Jesus is the only one that's perfect. God expects of us our best. And anything less than our best is not pleasing to God. And we sometimes get up in arms about this, but look into your lives. Employers always expect the best from their employees. And guess what? If they're not giving their best and consistently they keep falling down and they keep not doing their job, even though they have the ability and the opportunity to do it, guess what's going to happen to that employee? Hey, you're out of here. You're not doing your best for this company. In our military, both our military and us as citizens expect from our soldiers that they do their best. We're not expecting them to go beyond and above what they're capable and they have the ability to do, but we expect of them their best. God wants our best. It shouldn't be a shock to us that we need to give it to Him. So, this is the principle. The principle is very, very clear. God only expects of you what you can do. But here's the promise. To the people who do what they can, opportunity and ability will increase. So there's a principle. God doesn't expect you to do more than you have the opportunity and the ability to do. But if you fulfill your opportunity and your ability, guess what's going to start rising? Your opportunities and your abilities. Think back to the passage we just looked at in Matthew 25 and verse 15. The parable of the talents. To them that were responsible with their talents, what happened? They were given more, weren't they? Their talents were multiplied. You see, when we, when we deal responsibly, when we are responsible with what God has given us, He multiplies our abilities and our opportunities. This is very, very important. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. The one who is faithful in what is least. The ESV says the one who is faithful in the little things, or that which is little, 
is also faithful in much. But the one who is dishonest in a very little, or he who is unjust in what is least, is unjust also in much. Now, what does this principle mean? The way that we show God that you and I are capable of doing great things for him is by being faithful in the little that we have right now. We know this principle in childbearing, don't we? We know this principle. If I want to give side and responsibility, what am I going to do? I'm going to give him a little bit of responsibility, just a little bit. And if he is successful in that responsibility, if he does what he's supposed to, say side and says, hey, daddy, I want a, a puppy. Say, okay, let's get a fish. We have a fish. Let's get a fish. And if you can feed that fish every day for two weeks and you take care of that fish, you clean its tank, you make sure that the water is right, if you do that, then we'll get a puppy. What happens? If he takes care of that and he does what he's supposed to do, what does he get? He gets a puppy, right? He's, he's responsible over a little bit. If I trust him, he can be responsible over a lot. But let's say I say, okay, Sidon, you can take care of this fish for two weeks. If you do right, we'll get you a puppy. He never feeds it, never changes the water, doesn't ever look at it again. Guess what happens? Oh, son, that's good. We're going to give you a puppy anyways. No. The same works with the Lord. When you and I are faithful over very little, guess what the Lord multiplies? What we can be faithful over. We know this principle... And, and I meant to pull this slide up. The way we show God that we're capable of being faithful in much is by being faithful in the little that we have. We know this principle in the selections of elders and deacons. When we look at the responsibility of the elders, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, notice what the Bible says. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? The principle is that the elder who is unable to rule his house well is not qualified to take care of the church of God. The one who can't take care of the little shouldn't be responsible for the much. We see this also in the responsibility of deacons. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. A man who is to become a deacon, we don't make him a deacon just because we want him to be, right? 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. Lest these also first be tested. You see, when a man is to become a deacon, we don't just make him say, hey, you got anything that you want to be over? You, you, you want to work in a certain area of the church? No, he has to be proven. He has to already be working in that area. He has to be proven in his service. The one who to become a deacon must first apply himself in the work. And then he becomes a deacon. The way that men who desire the office of leadership in the church show God that they're capable of being in that leadership is by being capable and faithful over a little. If you're faithful over a little, what's the promise? God will make you faithful over much. But if you're unjust over little, what's God going to make you over? Nothing more, because you haven't shown responsibility. So here is the principle and the promise. The ideas that we need to drive into our mind about what God expects. God, through, this, through the flesh in Jesus, looked at Mary and said, She has done what she could. The principle is he expected her to do something and she rose to the occasion. So let's ask the question in point number two. Here's the application. We're going to look in prominent areas of Christian living this morning and I'm going to ask you the question. This is something that I want you to ponder in your head. Am I doing what I can? Am I doing all that I can? This isn't a question for you to ask in your head, is my wife doing all she can? Are the elders doing all they can? 
Are the deacons doing all they can? Is the preacher doing all he can? Because as we sit in this congregation, our spouses should be thinking about, am I doing all I can? The elders are going to be thinking, have I done all I can? The deacons are thinking, have I done? The preacher's standing up here thinking, have I done all I can? I want you to think, have you done all that you can? Four areas. Number one, have I done all that I can in my Bible study? You know, our responsibility is clear. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10 that we need to be diligent to present ourselves as workers of the Lord who don't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or rightly handling the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. God wants us to handle the Bible correctly. If we don't, there'll be punishment. But also we have that great noble example from our first century brethren, Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether what they were being taught was so. So we have the, the command, handle the word of God correctly, 2 Timothy 2.15. We have the example, Acts 17 and verse 11. But we also have Hosea's words in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So the question is this morning, are you doing all you can in your Bible study? You see, if I don't make a concerted effort on a daily basis to study the Word of God, to rightly handle the truth, am I doing all that I can? We put our effort into all different kinds of things, but are we putting it into our Bible study? When you go to the Day of Judgment, will the Lord look at you and say... You did all you could handling the Word of God. You searched the Scriptures to find out whether the things that you read were so. You read the Word of God, Romans 10, 17, that builds faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You did what you could. Because all God expects of us is to do what we can. Area number two. Let's look at the area of attendance. Am I doing all I can in my attendance to the services of the church? Now, for some reason, I don't know why this has happened, but our society has permeated the idea that I can be pleasing if I do the bare minimum. If I just do as little as I can, I'm going to squeak by and I'm going to be pleasing. And this idea has sunk itself into the church. I'm just going to do the bare minimum for the Lord, and surely the Lord knows my heart was in the right place when I did it. You see, our responsibility is clear. And I say this with love in my heart, that when we just willfully, lackadaisically, uh, lazily absent ourselves from the assembly, just because we want to, we commit sin. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. The ESV says this, and I really like the way that it's worded, and I'll explain that in a minute. You know, of course, we know the King James Version says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as we see the day approaching. But the English Standard Version says this, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't think that often we think about ourselves as forsaking the assembly. Sometimes I believe we just know that we neglect it. We neglect to come. Because here's the thing. We all know that we should be here. 
And we know that since we need to be here, if we really put the effort into it, we could be here. We're just not doing all that we can. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about being sick. I'm not talking about having work. I'm not talking about those things. What I'm talking about is laziness. And sometimes we absent ourselves from the assembly maybe just because we don't feel up to it. Are we doing all that we can? Most of us would know that if hunting season or football games or some kind of overtime pay or some kind of event that we wanted to go to, it would take a life-threatening illness to keep me away. But sometimes we miss because we fail to prepare ourselves. We fail to do what God wants us to do. On the day of judgment, is the Lord going to look at us and say, you've done all you can. You've done everything that I've asked you to do. Verse 26 of Hebrews 10, if we go on sinning deliberately after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Could the Lord say of us, when I stand on the day of judgment, Josh, you have done all that you can. You've done what you could with what you have where you are. Because all that God expects of us is that we do what we can. Area number three, helping those who are in need. Our responsibility is very clear. James chapter 1 and verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. We understand that our pure religion before God requires that we help others. Now we know from Matthew chapter 22 and verse 39 that Jesus says the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so in order for me to fulfill the natural result of the second commandment, I need to be helping people. That's what happens when I love my neighbor as myself. I help those who are in need. And the Bible tells us not to just talk about doing it. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. There's a lot of people in our society who just love in word and talk. They're all talk, but they don't love in deed and in truth. Jesus says that sometimes... It's offering a cup of cold water to little children. We read about that in the Gospels. And here's the thing. If offering a cup of cold water is all that I can do, God's pleased with that. If that is the most that I can do, if all I can afford and all that I can manage and all the time I have is to get a cup of cold water and give it to a child, God is pleased with that, but God expects that. If we're all honest, every one of us in this room could do more than that, than offer a cold cup of water. On the day of judgment, when we stand before God and He says, looking at our life, have you done all you could? Could it be said of us in our Bible study, in our attendance, and in our helping those who are in need, could it be said that I've done all that I could? I gave it my all. Because there are so many areas in which we give our all. Passion. I, I have passion for what I'm doing. And I'm going to give everything I have to the Lord to complete that task. Am I giving all that I can to the Lord? Finally, in my giving. There's a lot that we could talk about in this area. But I think we all understand the question when I ask, in my giving, am I doing all that I can? Our responsibility is clear because if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, the point is this, he says. Paul says, those who sow sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. I've made the decision of my heart. I'm going to give. 
I'm not going to give reluctantly, he says, or out of compulsion, but rather God loves a cheerful giver. And sometimes we may say, you know what, I can't give as much because I don't have as much. I don't have anything, so I can't give anything. Open up your Bibles for a moment to, to Luke chapter 21. Now I've asked you to open up your Bibles except for Mark 14 this morning. But I want you to go to Luke chapter four, uh, 21. A lot of times I'll quote scriptures and run through them um, or put them on the screen so that we can see these. But sometimes I want us to open up our Bibles and look and remember where this passage is on the page and, and write our notes in it if you can. Luke chapter 21 beginning in verse 1. And that is he, Jesus, looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Now if you do any research into what they put their money into in the first century, there would be these giving receptacles. I don't really know what you would call them, but they would look like trumpets in the fact that they had a wide opening and a tiny skinny little hole that your money fell through. And so the rich would throw their money in and it would clink, 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 all the way down. And it would just clink and clink and clink and clink. And guess what you knew? Hey, they're giving a lot. It's the equivalent of if we had trays that didn't have cushions in the bottom, when the little children throw all their change in there and you hear it. You know, that's always a beautiful sound to hear a child throw money in the collection plate. But it was kind of a, a pride thing in the New Testament in the first century. They would take that money and they would throw it in there and it would just clink around and make all kinds of noise. And the louder it clinked, the new that you knew the heavier the coin was, and it was worth more money. Oh, man, that was a prideful thing to do. And so the rich would throw their money in. But in verse, four, verse 2, he says he saw a poor widow putting in two mites. Now, a mite is literally a coin that's just shaven super thinly. A mite would be the equivalent today to our nickel in our income and in our socioeconomic status. This woman had two nickels to her name. He said that this, this widow put in two mites. And he said, truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. Why? For all these out of their abundance put in offerings for God. But she gave out of her poverty and put in all the livelihood that she had. I want to make something really clear that, that a lot of times we don't consider. About the story of the widow with two mites. If Jesus wouldn't have commended this woman, if Jesus wouldn't have said this woman did right, we all would have condemned her. How dare you put in every bit of money you have? Don't you know you have bills to pay? Don't you know you have things to do? How dare you put in everything? How dare you give sacrificially to the Lord? But we can't say that because why? Jesus said this woman did right. Our giving to the Lord comes before anything else. In our budget. And this isn't a, a budget class, okay? That's a whole other subject. Our giving to the Lord comes before our taxes are taken out of our check. Our giving to the Lord comes before our mortgage. Our giving to the Lord comes before our bills and our car payments and everything else in the world that we pay for. Our giving comes before all of that. But if we stand on the day of judgment and the Lord looks at us and asks us, have you done all you can? If I scrape my pocket at the last minute to give the Lord what's left over, I'm not doing all that I can. I need to come prepared to give to the Lord. Jesus looked down at Mary and he said, when everybody else was angry with her because they thought she had been wasteful, she had wasted her time, she had done something wrong, the Lord looked down at her and said, she has done what she can. So my question to you this morning is, have you done all that you can? 
in every area of your life, in your faithfulness to the Lord, are you doing all that you can? God doesn't expect you to do more than you're capable of doing, but He expects that much. He doesn't expect us to do things outside of our ability, but what you have the ability to do, if we fail to do it, we're not doing all we can. This is a hard question to ask yourself, I know, because I'm asking myself this question as well. Joshua, are, are you doing all that you can for the Lord? I hope that you consider this question. Are you sacrificing all for God? As the old saying goes, are you putting it all on the line? Every part of my life is going to bring glory to the Lord or it's not. Am I doing all I can to bring Him glory? Maybe the case is this morning that you're looking at your life and you say, you know, Josh, I, I'm, I'm not doing all I can. I would, I would pray and encourage you to respond to the Lord's invitation. If you're not doing all in your Bible study, the, the step to make is to change. To make the step in the right direction. If you're not doing all you can in your attendance, the, the, the step is to change. If you're not doing all you can in helping others, the step is to change. If you're not doing all you can in your giving, the step is to change. To do something different. To break the cycle of what you're doing. And do all that you can for the Lord. Do what you can with what you have where you are. If you have a need this morning, if you need to obey the gospel or you need to repent of a sin, please come as we stand and sing.